welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Generation Ag. This month it is International Rural Women's Day and I was happy to have half an hour with Jackie who's actually the founder of Rural Women's Day which is a non-for-profit initiative aimed at connecting rural and regional women through community, collaboration and celebration. The inaugural event was a sellout, hosting over 170 women in the Southern Grampians on October 15th, 2019. In 2020, during the pandemic, she published a collaborative keepsake magazine to connect the community during COVID. With over 700 copies distributed through Australia and New Zealand, as well as social media growth, which has gone beyond 12,000 followers, her organisation in the last couple of years has grown exponentially with hosting over 10 events across the country this October with the first one being held last Sunday in Ballarat. It's amazing to see the growth of this organisation and Jackie actually also was acknowledged with the Community Leadership Award at the Farmer of the Year Awards in Canberra this year as well. So yeah, it's an amazing organisation and Jackie does so much. All of her work that she does is all volunteer through the organisation. She's amazing. She has really created this phenomenal connection and group of amazing women and yeah it's an amazing lot of events and I think if you are a woman listening to this there are still some tickets to some of the events that are happening this October and I highly recommend we will pop them all in the show notes but let's get into this episode hear a bit about Jackie's story and how Rural Women's Day the non-for-profit organization came to be. Jackie, thank you so much for finally sitting down with me and chatting on the Gen Ag podcast. We have finally got our schedules succinct. I want to start off by asking you a question that we always talk to all of our guests about, which is about your childhood and growing up in the regions. Can you tell me a little bit about yours? Yeah, so I actually was born, um, so my siblings and I, I've got an older brother and a younger sister. We're fifth generation farmers. Now I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a farmer, but I'm definitely involved in the farming and farm life, marrying a farmer and still help our dad on the farm. But I guess growing up, I feel like we were probably the luckiest farm kids around. Mum and dad had us very involved in what was happening on the farm. And, but we also didn't miss out on other opportunities, you know, whether it was through our education or our, our personal interests or hobbies. So um, we grew up in central Victoria at Barfold and on a property that was just over 600 acres, but then there was another family farm. We had a couple of family farms in that sort of small area and we have beef and sheep, so running prime lambs. And actually on our property, we had two waterfalls. So the state's largest privately owned gorge in Victoria. So my childhood was probably like a childhood of dreams in in some ways. Like we had, you know, ponies that we could ride and always had like, you know, newborn Kelpie puppies and raising wildlife. And I think we raised a possum and we raised a wombat and, you know, just, I don't know, I guess you could probably say it was somewhat your typical, or if you told someone, you know, bush kids growing up, like just the things that they could imagine were probably what were, what we got as children growing up. And then 
I took on two sort of hobbies. I was dancing, which was also something that my sister did. And then my brother was really keen on showing cattle. So I either spent my weekends showing cattle or my weekends dancing. And what a combination that is. (laughs) And yeah, look, we got to go around to local country shows and down to Melbourne every year. We probably didn't miss a Melbourne show for about 15 years in a row um, showing beef cattle. So yeah, I think as kids growing up on the land, couldn't have asked for better opportunities. Um, And then um, yeah, when I was 15 or 16, my parents actually sold our family farm due to a, like a family farm partnership dissolving. And then my parents moved to a different property. I had a really tough time then in mainstream education and I dropped out of school um, when I was 16 before finishing year nine. And I guess then that might lead to the next question about education and where I got to next, Livia. Yeah, I'm, I didn't realise. I mean, I have heard you talk before, but transitioning at that age as a a young woman is a really tough time in general. Having to move schools is even tougher. What was the decision behind you actually deciding to leave school and what was sort of the direction for you from there? Yeah, so there was a lot of things that happened across from turning 15 to 16 and one of those was so at the beginning of year nine, I'd been at the same school and in that same town for you know, all of my life. And I was really fortunate to be a accepted and to attend the Alpine School, which is um, at Mount Hotham at Dinner Plain. So it was one term and they take like four or six children um, in year nine from several high schools and bring them together. And it's all about, it's like a leadership school. So I guess going there and being more hands-on practical, not necessarily your theory work um, at high school was where I really thrived. And I possibly learned a bit of an attitude there towards school, like about I could be doing so much more better things with my life if I wasn't sitting in a classroom. Um, And that at the time, it was probably quite a negative thing. But now looking back, I'm pretty strong-willed, determined kind of person um, when it comes to getting, not necessarily getting what I want, like I work hard to get what I'd like to achieve. And then, yeah, and so I returned to school for, which I'd been at for the last couple of years, and then in that time, mum and dad had sold the farm. We'd moved to town for a brief time and then moved to the next family farm. And I started at my new high school. So I was yeah in year nine, making new friends. I probably was never going to fit into a new school. And that age is a terrible age, like you said, to try and make new friends. Um, and people are, are somewhat getting established in their friendship groups. So you're really the odd one out. And I would say that the school that I went to was probably a little bit behind in how they were educating year nine students compared to the school I was at. So they were still running uh, assignments handwritten on loose leaf paper where I'd just come from a school that wanted like assignments typed with references and everything at the end of your assignment, that kind of thing. So when you've learnt different skills and how to present a project or um, you do PowerPoint presentation, that's the step, you know, you want a type of quality. So I was, I felt like a little bit I was stepping back in time and that's how I really felt. And then same with their practices were a little bit behind and probably a bit backwards. And mum and dad could really see that I was struggling. And it came down to this one particular um, part, which is (laughs) going to sound ridiculous when I say it, but I used to wear tinted moisturizer to school as you can see, I'm not a makeup wearer. Like it's just not my thing. And it probably, it never was, but I used tinted moisturizer, which had like a SPF 30 in it. So, you know, it was like a sunscreen as well. 
And they asked me one day to take off my makeup because you couldn't wear makeup to this school. And I was like, this is tinted moisturizer. It's nothing fancy. I refused to do it and happened to have my phone on me, which I shouldn't have. And I called mum from the bathroom after I sent to the principal's office and said, this is what they're doing. And she said, stay there. I'm coming to get you. And basically mum come and picked me up and signed me out of school and said, she's not coming back. So, <laughs> and I think then from that point it was a Friday morning slash lunchtime of the day. And we went back to mum's office of um, at work and we ended up looking up a job, like local casual jobs in town because mum's like, well, look, you're probably not going to go back to school between, it was about September of that year. She's like, you're going back to school between now and the end of the year. Let's just focus on something else and get you out of there and then start next year fresh. By the Monday, I had a job at McDonald's five days a week and went into customer service there and look McDonald's as a a learning way for your career and customer service was a huge opportunity. And then I think too, just to get out and be doing something that was keeping me busy, but I was also being uh, rewarded, I guess, having a bit of money myself. Yes, I worked there for the rest of the year and then stepping after year nine, um, decided to enroll in TAFE and uh, went to do year like 10, 11, maths and English, automotives, agriculture. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I also knew I didn't want to be at school. So we had to find a different way. And mum and dad were never going to let me just quit my education. And I didn't want to quit my education too, but we just had to find the right fit for how I was going to learn, help me find like what I was passionate about. And I enjoyed that for about six months. And then um, I was accepted into the Australian Agricultural College Corporation in Emerald. So just out over 2000 kilometers from home. And yeah, so at 16, I packed my bags and headed off to boarding school. <laughs> Tell me about the experience from going from the South. I mean, you just had a bit of a really intense experience of leaving school. You're literally leaving the South, lower Victoria, and going all the way up to Queensland. It's a whole different ball game for a 16-year-old girl. I'm sure you're like, adventure of a lifetime, but like, what was that experience like? Tell us. Well, I was really fortunate. My brother, who's four years older, had actually just completed ag college at Longreach under the same ag ag corporation. And um, I'd been up a few times to visit him. So he was working on a station in Queensland. So it wasn't a very, very new experience to me. Like I'd I'd seen a bit of work on different properties. Obviously my brother could tell me what, you know, what they were up to. So um, I'm sure he didn't want his little sister who was 16 heading off to boarding school after some things that he maybe got up to. (laughs) But look, I, I remember getting, my brother actually dropped me off at ag college. And he was like, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because I'm sure if it was mum and dad there, I probably would have said, no, don't leave me here and um, and like put my bags back in the car and go home with them. So he took me up and bef- just the week before I started college, um, we went hoof trimming a heap of bulls um, up near Serena in Queensland. And I was with my brother and his friend and we stayed with the family there and I absolutely loved it. You know, they're on horseback and, you know, it was hard work. Well, when I say it was hard work, like, I enjoyed every minute of it. So, um, and it kept me busy. And then, yeah, my brother dropped me off at Ag College and basically helped me carry my big bag in and I did the rest. And he's like, all right, well, I've got to head off to Rocky now. Um, You know, I'll see you in a week. I'll stop back in by when I come past in a week's time. And I was like, yep, no problem. And then as he actually drove out and because he'd lived up there for a few years, he um, saw a family that he knew and they had twin sons who were Brahmin breeders as well. And 
he then found out that they were in my year and starting the same time I was. And um, they had met him at the gate of the college. And when they got there, they actually come to find me to introduce themselves. And so I was really lucky. I had sort of somewhat of a foot in the door. Like I wasn't the newbie, like they knew my brother and um, in the cattle world, a lot of people love my brother and he um, gets along with pretty much everyone. So I was, yeah, really fortunate to have those connections, you know, as a 16-year-old stepping into college. I think we had about 60 or 70 students in that year and we start. I started with Certificate 3 in Ag and then, yeah, 18 months later graduated with a Diploma of Agriculture specialising in beef production. That's such an amazing experience. I love that you sort of worked out a way to make education work for you to be able to finish and actually achieve something and have that end result and really see sort of towards turning 18, I'm sure, something that you could go off and use in your career. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about after leaving Ag College and how that sort of led you into Rural Women's Day and why you decided to pursue that. Well, I guess with Rural Women's Day, it really come a lot later in life, probably like 10 years later after graduating. And that comes with a lot of things. It's definitely getting up, maturing, um, more life experiences. I had to overcome anxiety as well and and just getting my confidence, I think, as a rural woman to, you know, give something a crack and believe in myself. And so when I graduated college, I was offered a job in central New South Wales on a feedlot. But it was at the same time my mum and dad had just moved properties again. They, Mum and dad never settled when we first moved farms. And it does come down to a lot when you're a fifth generation um, on a family farm and you pack up and leave and you just can't find your place and you can't find your groove. The farm wasn't for us where we moved to. And so they lasted about two and a half years at that property that we moved to. And then at the time I graduated, they'd also moved to um, southwest Victoria, which is now where I live and it's at Bioduck. And I thought to myself, I was like, look, I'm 18. I could absolutely take this job in New South Wales. And I did accept the role. And it wasn't until it got to around Christmas time and I graduated and come home, decided that, no, the role wasn't going to be for me in New South Wales. I needed to find something locally in Southwest Victoria. I would have gone back to Queensland in a heartbeat. But I was really fortunate to um, pick up a little bit of work at one of the farms here locally met a couple of people, started doing AI um, and um, some preg testing. So I um, joined a company just to experience completely different things. Like I really probably had the best next 12 months to try lots of different things and experience lots of things outside of college um, and also navigating, you know, living in a new community, um, meeting new people. And elders actually offered me a role. It was just a casual role, but it was uh, working sort of more in the merchandise animal health. But then because they had a network here of about four smaller branches, when people had days off, I was able to go and pick up their roles. And I guess that's probably what really set me up even for now is picking up a new process really quickly. And, but also picking up, everyone does the same process differently. So, you know, picking up tips and tricks to make it work best for me, but also keeping it the same for that person, leaving exactly the same how they left it for you, um, which I think is really important to be observant, especially like in agriculture and in somewhat small businesses when not more than one person is across one role because you want to be able to close off your day for that second per- the other person to come back and pick it up where they left off. So, and like, you know, ensuring that you leave notes and 
So that probably first 12 months really set me up for some fantastic opportunities to explore different areas of agriculture. So I got to enjoy going out with agronomists and then there was livestock agents, there was a merchandise, animal health side. And then when a role came up about 12 months later, it was full-time in animal health and general merchandise. And it was about an hour and a half drive away from where mum and dad were living. So I um, yeah, moved up there and continued working for elders for nearly another two years in that role. And it's, yeah, animal health and general merchandise I could probably step back into one of those roles any day of the week and somewhat pick it up. You know, there's a few new things on the market, but if you know how to talk to farmers and you can understand them, which I'm really fortunate, most of them are like my dad. So, you know, it was like a natural, natural approach to a conversation when you were chatting with clients. And then, yeah, over that time, I'd been fortunate to um, move down into the dairy industry. Um, So I was sort of looking at you know, beef and sheep, and then moved into more sheep and cropping, and then down to dairy. And then I landed a really fantastic role with Western Ag and worked for them for five and a half years. And I was somewhat a, a store manager for a really tiny satellite store that they had at Wallora and, um, you know, managed my own clients um, and our own store there supporting the agronomists. So, you know, out on the road doing a lot of kilometres a year. I think I did about 70,000 Ks in my uh, first or second year. So, yeah, and they were a really great role model. You know, my managers were fantastic, um, supportive, learned a lot probably about myself too in that in that role. And, yeah, they probably set me up and taught me, I got to build my confidence working with them, whereas there was plenty of other um, times prior to that where my confidence was probably beat down a fair bit, you know, and in office roles where, you know, maybe other other staff might have felt threatened by someone new and young coming in, um, especially in rural and, re- like, you know, small rural communities. So, um, yeah, starting there. And then in that year that I actually started with Western Ag, I uh, won a scholarship to travel to America for three months to, so it was educating youth in beef practices is what I wanted to have a look at. And I think my three months in America was the next stepping stone to me going, I enjoy meeting new people and I want other people to have the opportunity to enjoy new, meeting new people. And I guess I'd say I was manifesting something there for a couple of years. Yeah. And then doing a lot of growing, saving a lot of money to be able to get, um, you know, my own business up and going off the ground. I was never going to be able to do that without having some funds in my savings. Amazing. You have had such an interesting career trajectory and I love that you've had lessons, positive and negative, that have come along the way that have got you to where you are. And I think that that's such a great opportunity to reflect on those and be able to utilize a lot of those skills and learnings moving forward. When was that day we were like, right, I'm going to actually register Rural Women's Day. I'm going to make this an event. I'm going to really take it to the next level and actually create something like, and I'd love to know as well, because I think starting something new, you go and talk to a few people, like who were your first advocates? I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about those people as well. I don't know if there was a particular day as such, but I would say probably back in 2018, International Day of Rural Women come up, which is October uh, 15 under United Nations. A friend tagged me in a post and I was aware of this day for probably a few years and I always saw a couple of things happening in Queensland, but there there wasn't enough happening for International Day of Rural Women. And it was always something going on for International Women's Day, which is in March. But I saw that this day was going by unrecognised and it was not 
there was an opportunity there to do something about it. And so in 2000, and it's probably 2017 and then come 2018, I actually watched that day really closely to see what was happening and who was doing what and to see if there was an event happening. You know, is there promotion going on? Is there some kind of campaign? Like what's missing the mark? And then so I waited for that day and then from that day I decided, all right, I've got 12 months to do this and I'm going to put something on the following year. So I'd never planned an event of the size that it ended up being before. Um, so it was really starting from scratch and I guess that can be a really good thing because you know the in- systems inside out then by the time you're finished, you're, um, you've got as much things in place, you reach out to people, it's something new, it's exciting and it's fresh so I took 12 months to plan the event. And then, so this was in yeah, October when I sort of started writing notes and I, you know, just had a notepad and was writing ideas and, you know, and then I found a venue, which was about 40 minutes drive from where I was living. So um, booked that venue in for the 15th of October in 2019. And then roll around to January, I actually went to an Australia Day breakfast and they had a guest speaker there who was a local rural woman who is Sarah Hope. So uh, you may follow Georgie Morrison. That's um, Georgie's mum. And I just fell in love with Sarah's story. I saw myself in her in a way that I wasn't necessarily involved in the farm, but I was really creative and I wanted to do something different. But I always felt like I maybe wasn't a rural woman because I wasn't farming. I worked in like in a different part of agriculture. And when I looked at Sarah, I saw a rural woman who wasn't in farming but was still involved in agriculture and still involved in rural and regional areas. And she was an author, an artist, you know, someone that was completely different. And I guess I never really looked at it that way. And from that meeting, Sarah and listening to her speak, I actually rang her the following week and said, would you be my guest speaker at Rural Women's Day? And it then snowballed from there. So um, we had more guest speakers. But I'd say probably, yeah, that conversation with Sarah and she was absolutely wrapped to be invited. And then, you know, she gave me a list of a couple of other people that I could ask to speak. And all of a sudden the list was as long as my arm. And um, I was never going to have enough time in a day to have everyone involved. But it kept growing from um, that January and we, I was expecting about 40, 40, maybe 60 people to attend. And we sold out with 170 attendees, um, packed the venue, like I still, I don't know how the heck I did it. Like <laughs> what the fuck I was thinking, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I was determined to do something and I found that rural women travelled a long distance. We had people travelling up to three or four hours away to come to that event and it was following that event, my realisation that this is bigger than maybe what I expected it to be and if I don't run with this, someone else is going to. So I guess you could say, you know, that entrepreneur side of in me, which I never thought I had, was there and I needed to um, yeah, jump on and, and run with Rural Women's Day. And then it was a couple of months later when I actually registered Rural Women's Day as a not-for-profit and that was after another conversation. I talked to someone about starting a, a website and unfortunately I didn't have any funds to go with their website, but they sent me home with the best advice and that was go and register your business name, get your domain name get an ABN and you, you're you off to a great start. And so I literally went home and did that. And yeah, that's how from that point is probably where it's continued to grow. It's 
amazing what you've been able to achieve after the la- after the last five years and with the inclusion of COVID and how many spanners in the works that that has put in. But I love that you make a great point around no one really tells you how to run a business and it's like only when you get those key people that sort of go, these are my top three, five tips, go and do them now if you're serious about this because no, there's no handbook. I mean, there are some really great books out there, but there's no real 101 on this is how you start a business, this is how you structure it, particularly in Australia. It's all completely different depending on what you want to do. So, I love that you acknowledge that. You've gone from strength to strength. Honestly, this year you have multiple events in multiple states. It's so great. You should be so proud. Why do you think the organization has become so strong and you've been able to just keep cultivating regional and rural women throughout the country to keep following and actually wanting to create their own events alongside yours? Yeah, look, it's, and I do like what you say. There is no handbook about running a business. I use Google almost every day to go, how's this tax work? Or what's this, what's this mean about, you know, a company limited by guarantee? Or what does this letter mean from this person? Like I spend my whole time researching and there's never one answer when you go looking. So, and I guess, I've been really fortunate to link up with a lawyer in Bendigo and I've got a local accountant who, you know, it was my personal accountant and now um, I've got her there to help out with the Rural Women's Day side of things. Um, I think for Rural Women's Day and how it's grown, I guess there's probably a handful of reasons why it has grown why it has. And we are open to all rural and regional women. So regardless to your connection to the land, agriculture, your career, how long you've lived in rural and regional Australia, whether you even live in rural and regional Australia, like there's so many people that would contact us and they go, I moved from the land a long time ago. I now live in the city. Am I still welcome to come? And of course they are. Like I feel like once country Australia gets under your skin, you've got it there for life. You can't get away from it, but you can and you still want to be involved, but you may feel like an outsider and and you shouldn't have to. So I don't see any difference between me and someone that works on the farm full-time and has their own property or someone who, like Sarah, who had a studio in her wool shed and um, she did the art while her husband was running their their family property. So we're not different, like we're, we're equal in that sense. And then I think then to make Rural Women's Day different is it's not necessarily about being educated on something. So I know I was going to events for women and it was more about an educational or coming home with a tool to implement into your business. And it was very farm women focused. And and that's not what I wanted. I didn't need to know how to do the accounting side on the farm or how to do the books or how to change a tire on the on a ute, like, well, I already knew how to change a tire on the ute, you know, or reversing a trailer. Like I, I knew I had those skills, but I didn't need to know the farming business or the succession planning side of things. Um, I was really fortunate to, when I actually moved um, home from Queensland, I met my now husband and we've been married 18 months, but we've been together 13 years or something like that. Like I just, so I was still involved and I'm still involved in farming operations, but I'm a different type of rural woman and and that's completely okay. And they were the women that I wanted to encourage to attend. And women who have moved to rural and regional areas from anywhere who wanted to connect with others locally, um, that's what Rural Women's Day has been important about. And that's where I think it's grown and other people have said, 
I guess I've seen rural women say on social media and go, hey, I want to have this in my community. And that's where earlier this year, yeah, we put out expressions of interest and they we had probably 20 people reach out. And um, yet this year now we've had we've got 10 events across Australia and they're all hosted by volunteers. So um, these ladies have come to Rural Women's Day and it, they run their event under the Rural Women's Day not-for-profit banner. So I assist them in their event planning, their event marketing. I do all of their books, um, the accounting side of things. And then I hope to be able to attend as many as possible to support them on the day. From that point, you know, I guess they the funds from anything that may be raised from their events either go into their event again next year or it goes to the next local event. So it's staying as local as possible or it goes to the state and then it goes nationally. So I still don't know how I've pulled it up, pulled it off. And by the end of October, I might have a few more ideas once we've got through the next <laughs> next nine events after having the first one on Sunday. But yeah, Lavinia, it's just, I think I was saying to mum the other day when we drove home and and we had a really great speaker, Nicole from Rhythm First Aid, and she's just got a new little baby. And she said, look, Rhythm First Aid's her baby. And now she's got a little baby who's, you know, human type of baby. And and she's like, you know, it's trying to juggle and, and manage it. And I see people saying you can't have it all. And I really actually think you can have it all, but you learn to prioritize the all that you want and you make it work. So at the moment, I feel like in a way, well, very privileged, but very much I can have it all and it's just a matter of managing it. It's being learning to say no to things when they aren't aligning or they aren't working or you don't see maybe longevity in that idea. Um, so I don't know how it's really grown, honestly, and I, I can't pinpoint how and why. I'm sure someone could tell me if they looked at it why, but, yeah, I, I just am grateful that people have jumped on and wanted to support it. And um, if we can get more Rural Women's Day events happening where more women can have the opportunity to attend, you know, I think Australia and rural and regional Australia is going to be a better place for it. I couldn't agree more. I think I could tell you why it's taken off because much like yourself, I think you've created an event or sort of an organisation that is approachable, it's honourable, it's also really inclusive and it also understands the different aspects that regional and rural women are going through and I think you should be really proud of that because I think it's so important and often regional and rural women do get forgotten and it's so interesting before when you brought up the fact that, you know, in 2018 you didn't really acknowledge there weren't too many events around. And I think you've been a massive part of events and people and women being recognized in the regions over the last five years. And you should be so proud. Like it's, I think obviously the official events that you run are amazing, but the fact that people outside of that have acknowledged the day even more is so important. So that's so cool. And yeah, you obviously have done an amazing job and I'm sure you will continue to do so, which is why you're actually recognized this year as the 2023 Community Leader of the Year for the Farmer of the Year Awards in Canberra. What was it like to be recognized for that? I still can't believe that I was recognised as, you know, Rural Community Leader of the Year. Um, I still don't think I've done enough to deserve something like that. Like, yeah, I didn't do it for an award. <laughs> Sorry, Liberty. I like it. Just it really means so much. And um, to have someone like Condinen Group and ABC Rural and the panel of judges recognise, I guess, you know, like 
my role as a volunteer with Rural Women's Day, I just over 12 months ago, I went from full-time employment to three days a week because I needed more time to spend on Rural Women's Day, but I I don't have money to do it full-time. And so I had to keep working so I could pay for the bills and keep keep our family life happy. <laughs> um, but, but the thing is though, like to have, you know, a company and, you know, brilliant organisations like that to recognise and go, this person is putting in the time and effort to create a community that's continuing to grow. It was almost like the cherry on top this year. Like it was like, you know, something's, and in some ways I felt like finally something's gone my way. I really struggled 10 years ago um, with mental health and and I worked freaking hard to get to where I am and, um, and like a lot of ups and downs. And I'm just so fortunate that I've got a really supportive family and really supportive friends and community. But when you like, yeah, it's a bit surreal sitting up there at Parliament House and receiving an award for something you don't still don't think you deserve, but then at the same time going, like, good grief, I never expected this, you know, three, four, like 10 years ago. So, and I think too, like I look at it as the leader of a community and that community is Rural Women's Day. And so, but I think then from Rural Women's Day, it stems out to other rural and regional communities. So it's where we host our events. It's the individuals that travel to our events and then their community that benefit from that woman, you know, perhaps leaving that event feeling more uplifted and inspired to do something else or in her own business that then supports her community and her business. It's really like that snowball effect from one person. And people still say, you know, they're always saying to me, you know, you're a connector, Jackie, you connect people. And I don't know how I do it, but I don't really forget a face. And generally it's a face and what the person's career is or their skill or, you know, what talent or what their what their ideas are when they share them with me. And so people say something to me and I just say to them, you need to connect with this person. And and then it will be sometimes a week or a couple of months later, maybe even a year, I see those two people working together and they didn't know each other before they connected through Rural Women's Day. So, yeah, to to somehow be recognised for my, I guess it's an effort or you know, like what, what I'm passionate about and what I would do, like, and give anything for, it was really incredible. You're so well-deserving and you're completely humble in the way that you approach this. And I think that that's so lovely and you are a hundred percent connector. You have definitely connected me with a lot of people. You're so good at that as well. You just slide into my messages and just go, you need to talk to, like, you're so on it, like all the time, which is so impressive, especially when you're trying to help support and organize over 10 events. Like it's a lot going on and obviously work and manage life and we've got everything going on. Before we wrap it up, I've got one final question, which I think flows perfectly into this. I'd love if you could provide three quick pieces of advice for someone wanting to start their own organization in the regions or wanting to get something off the ground, or maybe they don't even know where to start. They just have an idea. What would be your three pieces of advice? My first one would be to cut the crap and just start. Like literally break it down to be really basic, to write your top three priorities of what it is that you're passionate about, perhaps um, like a skill that comes easy to you or like something that's quite like a natural thing for you. And, you know, I look at going back, like 
a couple of years ago, I could hardly hang on to a microphone without feeling like I was going to pass out. And I've just accepted an MC gig for one of our events in two weeks. So, and I'm still freaking out about that, but you know, like it's, it's start with the skills that you know, and you're comfortable with, but then don't be afraid to learn something new. So like what I've just done with our magazine this year, I designed that all on Canva and this is the second time around and it's just got easier and easier as you keep working on something. So yeah, definitely write down what you're passionate about, your couple of skills that come really easily, like easy to you. And perhaps the third one would be, don't be afraid to talk to good people in your life about your ideas because those good people though, they will tell you whether something's a shitty idea and and they will be honest with you, but they will also tell you whether it's a freaking fantastic idea and you need to go ahead with it because you need both. Like if they're telling you it's a bad idea, even if you don't want to believe it there and then, if they know you well and you've got a great um, friendship with them or a great relationship, it will soon under- you'll understand why they've told you it hasn't been a good idea and trust your gut instincts. So I know that's four, but yeah, go with your intuition, um, trust in that. I think that that's great. I love all of those pieces of advice. I think they all have merit. I think I love number one, which is cut the crap. Because cutting the crap, I hear so many people, I'm sure you do now too, who will come to you with an idea. They say they're going to start something. You literally check in with them 12 months later and they have not done anything. I think there is only time to start something and it's today, even if you don't know how to start. Like, honestly, you want to start a business these days between Google and TikTok and Canva, the world's your oyster. That's right. And I think starting a business too is, so in some ways I saved some money because I knew I was like, if I'm running an event and no one turns up, I honestly, and even to this day, if we have a sellout event, I actually think it's a hoax and that no one's going to walk in the door. <laughs> and so I just, I just like this, in, in this fear of, people not turning up, but they've sold all the tickets. It's stupid, I know, but that's my fear. And I think, um, yes, I saved some money in my role because I knew I had to pay for the bills if no one was going to come up to this event when I first did the event in 2019. So money's not everything though. At the end of the day, I started with $0. And so it was that after the first event, I literally had $0 and then grew that from scratch. So I'm from 2020, when we did the magazine, I didn't put my own money into Royal Women's Day. It had to pay for itself. And that's where, you know, with the, with the first magazine we did, we had to put it on pre-sale. Um, we sold like 700 magazines across Australia and New Zealand, but I was not ordering more than the, what I'd had the money to pay for to get printed. So, and then that actually helped us raise money because we sold advertising and then we made a little bit of money out of the sale of the magazines that's gone on to then pay for our insurance and pay for a new website. And so that money that we earned then has all been spent. And now, and that's where this year, again, with our events, they've been able to raise money through sponsorship for an individual event, but um, for nationally and for our costs nationally, I had to do something that was tangible. And um, that's where we sold advertising in this year's magazine. And then obviously from magazine sales. Always hustling. Love it. And I think that that's really important to note that, you know, these things aren't just magic. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. There's a lot of different things from advertisement to sponsorship, particularly events. They are incredibly hard to run and logistically can be, yeah, I've run plenty of events. And Jackie, I think you are an absolute superwoman. Before we go and wrap up, if anyone's wanting to 
get in touch or learn more, we will link all the events that are coming up in the next couple of weeks in the show notes, but where should they go to find out more about you? Yeah, so we've got a website, which is ruralwomensday.com.au and, you know, click on the shop for Rural Women's Day and you can see where all of our events are, um, which some of them still have tickets, some are selling out, some are closing ticket sales. Um, There's a lot happening over the next sort of week and a half and we've also got still got magazines available for purchase. So, Every a lot of things, time and effort go into events, but then we've also got to have make sure that people support what's happening. So we've been so fortunate with a lot of our events being sold out now. And yeah, now I'm just sitting here looking at these magazines. I've just packed another like hundred to be sent out and I've got about 200 left for sale. So that money goes back in to ensure that we can keep Rural Women's Day going, Lavinia. And that's why I yeah, can't be more grateful to share a bit about you know, my experience in agriculture and which I'm still very fortunate to be involved in, but just in a different way. And that's okay. And I hope everyone that, you know, is involved in agriculture or part of rural life can find a community that they can be, you know, feel comfortable in and be themselves without having to be something they're not. Yeah, I think that that's a really special point. And I think that what you're doing is really great. We will also link the magazines in the show notes as well. I think that that's such a special idea to help creating and cultivating more stories of rural women. Thank you so much, Jackie, for your time today. It's been such a pleasure. It's clear that you have really created a space for regional and rural women and I think you should be so proud and thank you so much for taking the time and I know October is completely so busy for you, so I really appreciate it. No, and look, it's yeah, an absolute honour to join Generation Ag. I love hearing other people's stories and, you know, it feels a little bit crazy to be one of those stories getting shared, but I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. So welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.